Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Welcome back to three for three on the YouTube and podcast homes for BamaOnline.com. Travis Schreier, Clint Lamb, Jimmy Stein getting you ready for Alabama's Rose Bowl matchup with the Michigan Wolverines. Feels a little bit funny, guys. It's a Friday as we do this show live, by the way. So if you want to jump in with us with comments, maybe some suggestions and some questions. We'll try to work those in as best we can as well. But it's a Friday. It feels more like a Wednesday or a Thursday, doesn't it? Because we don't have football for these two teams until Monday evening. Uh, Clint, uh, how are you biding the time at this point? The anticipation is starting to kill me a little bit. Yeah, the, not used to playing games or seeing Alabama play games on Monday. So it, it's definitely thrown my week off a little bit. But at the same time, on the flip side, if they do make it past Michigan and make it to the national championship, it'll feel a lot more like a game week, I guess, considering they'll play again next Monday. So I guess that's the the benefit of it. But it has definitely thrown me off as far as the timing and the scheduling and all that stuff. Yeah, I got the uh, predictions request from Clint. You know, he's going to have oh. those staff predictions up, maybe even as we uh, as we record this, those are going to start to show up there at BamaOnline.com. So a little bit different routine, but I guess, uh, hey, Jimmy, it's better than playing tomorrow, right, in the Orange Bowl on a Saturday. <laughs> you know, you know, one upside is obviously what the strangest college football week possible where we're recording on a Friday, but game week-wise, this is Wednesday, meaning this is, this is what Wednesday feels like when you play on Saturday. But, you know, on the other hand, after we record, we can watch – Clemson play Kentucky and Missouri plays Ohio State tonight. So it, it, there's a lot of 
things to take in this week. There's a lot of news, uh, roster management news that we'll get to, uh, a lot of other games, and uh, there's a lot of things to kind of kill the time, right? There's a, a, a uh, The college football world keeps on moving at 100 miles an hour. Yeah, it's a pretty newsy Thursday out in Southern California. You had Jalen Milrose comments in relation to Bill O'Brien. You had Isaiah Bond and some others talking about maybe some cyber stealing, <laughs> the potential for that by the Michigan Wolverines in preparation for this matchup with Big Blue. So uh, we'll get into a little bit of all that. Absolutely. And what we're going to do is we're going to start things with a, a trio doing a practice watch along. You know, I don't know. This is a first, I think, for <laughs> BamaOnline.com. I think Charlie and I have done one in the past, but that was more audio, more podcast format. We're actually going to get way out over our skis here. You know, and I'm certainly never going to be confused for Martin Scorsese, okay, when it comes to direction <laughs> and kind of putting these things together. But we're going to – there it is. How about some practice footage as we move through Sweet. this? And I just wanted to kind of do this, guys, and – not just in relation to this game against Michigan, but also because you're going to see some younger guys. And there's often so much interest in development and where a first and second year guy is maybe stacking up physically and starting to perhaps make a move for 2024 and beyond. But we'll get it going right here from Thursday's practice. And there you got some early work. And you said it earlier, Jimmy, uh, as we watch the Crimson Tide in full pads here, there's Jeremiah Alexander, Sean Murphy. Uh, working on an individual period. Uh, that looks more like uh, two hats to the ball, one guy at least try to work the ball out, a takeaway drill, a ball security drill, really all in one. But it is a full pad practice, even on a Thursday, because, again, game's not till Monday. A little bit of a different routine here we're seeing. Yeah, this would be a normal uh, Wednesday practice. So uh, at Alabama during game week, the physical practices are Tuesday and Wednesday. So this is the Wednesday practice of game week. And what we're seeing right now for those interested is that's the number two defensive line and heavy nickel. As you see Q Rob on the left lined up at outside linebacker, but the defensive end on the other end is James Smith. If that was the first team, that would be Justin Aboigby. But this is the twos that have uh, James Smith uh, outside along with Q Rob with uh, Latham and Payne in the middle and sort of a defensive tackle role. But that's the, the, the number two. D-line right there, uh, and they will see act. those guys right there, even though they're the twos, they will see action against uh, Michigan, no question. I guess it's interesting, guys, when you think about Jamarian Latham and Q Robinson, you think more situational, I think, at this point, based on their size right. and their skill sets. So, Clint, when you look at this grouping here and you see uh, Trez Marshall there at an inside linebacker, Sean Murphy at an inside linebacker, this is obviously – more of the reserves, uh, but a big, big part of the picture on Monday, no doubt. Right, Clint? I mean, this is where it's got to start, and we're going to get into more of this coming up with some outside linebacker footage that we've got. But uh, yeah, I, I think Alabama, on early downs at least, whereas this, as Jimmy correctly put it out there, this is the big nickel. But I think you might have, obviously, Justin Aboigby, Dallas Turner, Chris Braswell – maybe even bigger personnel than what we see in this shot. Yeah, I'll be curious to see how Trez Marshall fits into things. I mean, obviously, Jahad Campbell's playing really good football right now. Uh, you've got Deontay Lawson. He's had a lot more time to get healthy, get back to being close to 100% or closer to 100% if he's not already. 
that's huge. But uh, against a team like Michigan who likes to hammer the football, they're going to try to have a physical identity. A guy like Trez Marshall could end up playing a little bit bigger of a role than we're anticipating. Now, I could be wrong on that. They could stick with the two other guys. They're playing great football right now. They're sideline to sideline athletes. But when you look at Trez Marshall and just the, the kind of teams that he does well against, I mean, his best performance, in my opinion, in an Alabama uniform was against his former team in Georgia, who aren't the same team as Michigan, but a lot, run a lot of that 12 personnel, like going a little bit bigger, doing some different things. And so Trez Marshall, what, what does his role look like on Monday? And then as far as, you know, when you look at Michigan, one of the things about their defensive line that I think stands out above others is the fact that they're deep and they're able to rotate. Alabama's got a little bit of depth too, though, and you see it right there. I mean, James Smith being a former five-star player has a ton of talent, still working some things out and working on the consistency part of his game. But Jamarian Latham being an interior pass rusher plays a little bit more on a drive-to-drive basis. He gets some, you know, uh, early down work as well at times, but it's mostly going to be the Justin DeBoyby show. You see Duran, uh, Damon Payne there, almost said Duran Payne. I still do that years later. Uh, but, you know, that's a guy that's going to play a huge part as well. He's one of the backup uh, interior defensive lineman, and he can stop the run extremely well. And I'll be, ex- I'll be uh, interested to see what his role looks like on Monday too. And again, having been out there for years, when they let us out there, this was like the equivalent of a unicorn sighting, a media viewing period these days (laughs) since COVID. This is very early, even some pre-flex stuff that you're seeing. So this isn't teamwork, and that's why you'll get a mix of maybe some young, young guys like we see here. Uh, Deontay Lawson, Keanu Coote, Caleb Downs, uh, a Boyd B, but then you'll also see some Edric Hills and some Jordan Renauds and There you see Jahad Campbell. This is pre-practice for the most part. There's a guy that's going to be important, too. You talk about right there in the middle of things, Tim Keenan. And we get into the outside linebackers here. Hey, who's this guy right over here, Jimmy Stein? Is that your guy, Charlie Strong, over here, I Uh, think? Checking out those outside linebackers? Yeah. That's that's not – I can report for sure that that is not – what? I, it might be Charlie Strong. I think it is. But look, think, there are so yeah, that many is, staffers out at it these is, practices. It is. You've got to really uh, be, be kind of thorough in how you check things out. There's Coleman Hutzler. And this is the two guys I wanted to talk about, Jimmy and Clint, as far as, and we previewed this for a while now in advance of this Michigan game, usage rate for these two guys together on the field against this Michigan offense. And I'll start with you, Jimmy, in terms of your expectation. Uh, Does it start with heavy nickel with just one of them out there, maybe even some base? And then situationally, you try to get more into these two guys out there if you can force those second and third and longs? You know, they typically play together uh, when it's base or when it's dime, ironically, base or dime. Mm Alabama has played hardly zero base all year long. Really short yardage, they'll play base. Uh, in some situations, uh, but generally they've played zero base. Against Michigan, they might choose to play a ton of base, which will be really interesting in the sense that we haven't really seen it all year, but it makes a lot of sense against a Michigan team that did things like run the ball 32 snaps in a row against Penn State. When you know Michigan's going to run the ball no matter what, you might want to just line up with what you think is your best personnel against the run. That might be base. That might be Turner and Braswell both on the field at the same time. And, hey, doesn't that make a lot of sense? Because if you ask me uh, or or you, Travis, or, or and Clint, to rank who are Alabama's 11 best defenders, 
Turner and Braswell are going to be on that list. All yeah. three of us are going to say Turner and Braswell are among our best 11 defenders. So having both of them on the field at the same time makes a ton of sense. But Alabama's primarily run heavy nickel against 12 personnel. Michigan lines up in a ton of 12 so I suspect, as we've seen all year, you'll mostly see heavy nickel. That means one of them or the other on the field and and something out for each other to keep each other fresh. Yeah, and they don't have a problem with that, Alabama doesn't, in terms of rotating those two. They have equal comfort, I believe, Clint, in either Dallas Turner or Chris Braswell out there. But I think Jimmy said it, too. I watched a lot of Michigan offense uh, against – Iowa against Ohio State against Penn State and all three of those teams played a lot of base and not just on early downs they stayed in it I mean there's some third and long that I saw where those teams stayed in base defense and you think about it regardless Clint these are the guys that we're looking at right here the Jaheim Otis's uh the Tim Keenan's the Damon Payne's the Tim Smith's that are this is really where it's all going to start for the Alabama defense right here yeah, and when you look at the the base side of things, I mean, to give people an idea, Georgia uses a ton of 12 personnel. Uh, they use it maybe 25% of the time. Michigan's at about 50%. I mean, so when you're talking about Georgia uses a lot of it, but Michigan's on a completely different level. And they also use quite a bit of 21 personnel, about 5% of the time compared to less than 1% for Georgia. So they're going to they're, they're gonna have bigger bodies out there way more consistently so I think that lends itself to be, maybe be able to use base a little bit more, but it definitely starts with the guys that you're talking about. And they've all, you know, Tim Smith's taking a big step forward this year, in my opinion. I think Payne has taken a step forward as far as just improving his consistency. I thought he showed flashes last year, but he's become more of a consistent presence, even though it doesn't necessarily show up on the stat sheet. Tim Keenan, everybody knows about his development. It's been, you know, give Freddie Roach a ton of credit for a lot of those guys and how they've developed. Justin Aboybe is a huge part of that. But the other one, uh, and Jimmy and I were talking about it yesterday, is Jaheim Otis. And and I don't know if he's going to have an opportunity to get closer to 100% with his time off. It might be a situation where he's got to wait to the offseason to have some sort of surgery and give himself a couple of months to you know, uh, get back to where he needs to be. But if whatever's been going on with him, which we think there's been something slowing him down a little bit, if he can be back closer to 100%, where he can maybe hold up on a few more snaps. He can he can play a little bit better football. He's already been playing good football, but I think he, he's capable of playing great football. And, you know, just the style in which he plays, I think that would lend itself well against uh, an offense like Michigan's going to be bringing to the table on Monday. So I'll be curious to see what his role looks like and, and how much of an impact he can have. This is a really good group. It's a deep group. And we talk about the outside linebackers, and I think it's big that against this style of offense, we it, it's been important pretty much the entire season. But the development of Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell on early downs and being able to set the edge better and stuff, I think in this type of matchup, that's going to show up in a major way, and you're going to be able to see just how much of a difference makers those two guys can be compared to in years past, especially Chris Braswell, where maybe he didn't have that consistency as a run defender. Yeah, getting up to 250, 255 for Braswell, that raised a few eyebrows back in the preseason, but it has shown up as a very positive thing in terms of Again, that usage rate with that duo on the field together, that's not a 230-pound Chris Braswell that's out there with a 240 Dallas Turner. That guy's added some weight, and it hasn't hurt his functionality in the least. How about these two guys right here? Yeah, Charlie Strong 
Kevin Steele. I think they've seen the brain defenses uh, throughout the years. <laughs> Boy, would you love to just be able to listen in on conversations like that out on the practice field? And, you know, Jimmy, I think Clint alluded to this earlier, too. I got to think this is a motivated Alabama defensive line, too, because we've heard so much about Michigan's defensive front, and understandably, justifiably so. The depth, maybe not uh, stacked with star power, but that ability to rotate seven, eight guys in there very effectively. And that's something Alabama's really done all year, hasn't it? Yeah, Alabama's played seven players with the first team consistently uh, almost all seasons, kept everyone fresh. I think the Alabama defensive line has performed as well as we've seen maybe since 2020. Uh, it's just an improved group depth-wise. I think it's an improved group in the first team in terms of playmaking. I mean, Justin Aboigby had an absolute monster season statistically for his position. I mean, with seven sacks, uh, it's one, one of my projects between now and Monday. I'm, I don't know that any defensive lineman – I'm not talking about an edge player or an outside linebacker – did any defensive lineman in the SEC match Justin Aboigby's seven sack total? I doubt it. I mean, I'm going to look into it, but I doubt it. Uh, he had just a monster season for Alabama. Uh, Tim Smith steps forward. Tim Keenan, a huge step forward. I think Otis had a bit of a struggle year, probably health-wise, because there were games where he just didn't even play much at all. Uh, but you know, and he was uh, really playing a different position. He's been playing nose guard, sort of slid over to a defensive end spot this season. James Smith uh, flashed for a freshman, didn't play a ton, but he played with the ones, some Payne and Latham sub in every single game, even in the first half of games. They're more situational, but but they still play a lot with the ones. This, this was a big group. Uh, they were a productive group. And there were games where they really stood out. The one game that that, that that I will remember all season long for that group, guys, against Texas A&M. Tim Keenan himself had as many tackles in that game as the entire vaunted Texas A&M defensive line did. Keen, Keenan had nine tackles, which is how many the entire Texas A&M defensive line group was credited with. And look. You know, we we can talk about production, and it's obviously important. But this could be a game where the tackle totals aren't exceptionally high for Keenan and some of those guys like Damon Payne and Tim Smith. But what you want is for these guys right here that we're looking at right now. You wonder why, Clint, these guys do these drills right here, these inside linebackers do this type of sled work. This game on Monday is why you do – those drills because it's going to be about striking people and it's good to see Deontay Lawson in that shot Clint looking like the break has done him some good yeah uh, these inside linebackers need to channel their inner Rolando McLean Dante Hightower uh, as much as they possibly can in a matchup like this because this is where you would love to still have those 6'4 255 260 pound inside linebackers but it's a different era of college football I think Jihad Campbell's come a long way as far as understanding his run fits and being able to be an effective run defender. I think Deontay Lawson just having a chance to get back, you know, closer to 100%. He was one of Alabama's best players, uh, really offensively or defensively early on in the year. And just the way that the off-ball linebackers have been used to apply pressure on quarterbacks, that's been big. I think both these guys are good in coverage. 
but it's really the primary focus on Monday is going to be stopping the run and how effectively can these guys do that. And I think that they're capable, and I think the defensive line in front of them is going to play a major part. I think that's been a big difference in the way Alabama's defense has performed this year compared to the last couple is the fact the defensive line has improved to a point where it can keep these linebackers clean a little bit more. But at the same time, when you're going against a Michigan-styled uh, you know, offense and you're playing, if you are playing in base, uh, you're going to have to be stacking and shedding quite a bit more than maybe you're used to. And, and I think these linebackers are capable, but that's certainly something to keep an eye on because this is a different style of offense than Alabama's played pretty much all year. And that includes even a, a team like Georgia. Georgia gives you some of that uh, as close as you'll probably get, but Michigan's a different beast. Yeah, I think if Alabama does play a good bit of base, Michigan's really going to try to get those two tight ends and or Donovan Edwards, the one running back, in some matchups on these linebackers, right? That's where you would think, based on personnel, you would be able to exploit some things. And obviously, Michigan likes to throw it to Loveland. Edwards is a 30 reception guy as a running back. So some things to keep in mind there. You know, from a health perspective, Jimmy, what is maybe the most encouraging thing we've either heard in recent days uh, that we've seen on some of this footage, perhaps, in your opinion? Was it Jace McClellan's update? a day or so ago. Sounds good for him now with that foot. Uh, but looking at these linebackers and looking at some of these guys that we know were, they were dinged up even in the Georgia game. When you talk about Dallas right. Turner and Kool-Aid McKinstry, um, where's the the positivity rating right now for you from a health perspective? I think I think an obvious answer is Jace McClellan, but but I want to go back to to, to what we saw on, on the sled just a second ago, Deontay Lawson. I, I think this this four weeks that Deontay Lawson has had uh, to get past the ankle, because as Clint pointed out earlier in the show, Deontay Lawson in September was on the short list for me of best players on the team in September. I I, I thought he was fantastic. And then that ankle injury uh, really changed. I think his season sort of almost took him from first team all American to even off the, the, the second team, all sec type type honors uh, because he, he he was playing as good as any off-ball linebacker in the country. Uh, now we might see a uh, close to completely healthy Deontay Lawson, which will just be vital against Michigan, where, where they're going to stress Alabama's front seven uh, a lot, and, uh, and you need an all-hands-on-deck and all-hands-on-deck healthy situation. So, yes, having Jace back is great. Having a Kool-Aid uh, fine and Dallas Turner fine, that's all great. But for me, it's like, Boy, if you can get September Deontay Lawson back, uh, this this is the right game for him. And look, that Georgia game, those three guys at inside linebacker, Clint, played good football. I think it was 13 total tackles between them, and 12 of those were solos. Trez with the big fumble recovery, a couple of those guys with tackles for loss. And based on that, I guess you're expecting, I think we're expecting to see, you alluded to this a little bit earlier, I think, a continuation of mixing in between Campbell and Marshall kind of frees you up with Deontay too, whether you want to play him on the ball or off the ball, right? Absolutely. And we just, what's been the most encouraging part about this Alabama defense is that you're getting development out of guys that maybe you weren't getting. I mean, look at how deep the inside linebacker room is. Uh, there was concerns about not only the development side of things, but the depth, you know, and, and not only are you getting quality play out of Deontay Lawson when he's been healthy, 
You're getting development and growth from Jahad Campbell. You're getting Tresman Marshall being a big contributor. Kendrick Blackshire has been a big part of things. And it just, you really start to feel comfortable with not only, uh, you know, the, the play of the guys at the top of your depth chart, but the depth. And if you've got to work into that depth, and the defensive line's been the same way, they needed development on their defensive line and they got it in a major way and they've been able to find contributors. And like I said, that's, it's kind of the off ball linebackers and the defensive line working in unison where it's, you know, they're a tandem and it's the defensive line two gapping, keeping, you know, those uh, off ball linebackers free and just Lawson with his ability to get sideline and sideline, his ability and coverage, the fact that he's your field general. And just when he's playing at a hundred percent, he seems like a much more confident player and I think that's pretty infectious to the rest of the Alabama defense. But it's not just that. I mean, you got a deep rotation of guys. You've got several quality linebackers. But I agree with you, Travis. I think you are going to see, uh, you know, continue to see some Tresman Marshall because, as I said, this is the style of game that kind of fits what he does well. And I would expect him to contribute just like he did against Georgia. Maybe, you know, the, maybe the motivational factor with it not being his former team, maybe that impacts things to a degree. But I just think. Uh, more so than that against Georgia, it was the fact that the style of offense that Georgia likes to run fit what he does well. And I think that uh, Monday will prove that as well. Yeah, I think from the outset Monday, the message has to be sent by the Alabama defense. If you're going to run the ball on us, it's not going to be with Blake Corum between the tackles. We're going to fit that up and we're going to clean it up and there's not going to be yards after contact. That is his forte. You're going to have to do some different things if you're going to run the football against this Alabama defense. Uh, interesting Thursday, to say the least, for this guy. How about Isaiah Bond, his last month or so? It's been interesting, to say the least. What did you guys make of the comments about uh, the potential for cyber stealing? We see the scissors lift over here on the right of the video. I wonder if Alabama had a video camera videoing practice and maybe another one pointed the other direction, you know, trying to <laughs> – Make sure all things were clear at practice in Carson City, California. You know, Jimmy, we've been around a long time, man. We're old heads. We've heard, yep. we've seen a lot of things. Uh, but that one was pretty much a new one on me. I don't know about you. The cyber stealing, the Isaiah Bond yeah. comment. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, mean, I guess being, you know, media now, I mean, my, my first thought was was that uh, when Isaiah said that, Josh Maxson may have fainted. Like, oh, no, no. <laughs> Not, let's not go Turned there. Turned in his two notice right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's not let's not go there, Isaiah. I'm, I'm not sure Bond's supposed to say stuff like that. But nevertheless, uh, it is interesting. Look, coaches have always been paranoid about this type of stuff. I mean, coaches, I mean, you know, for years, what have we almost half joked about? But the condos across the street from the practice field in Tuscaloosa and about how uh, there's this uh, fairy tale, I think, of you have to sign. If you buy one of those million-dollar condos, you have to sign something saying you won't watch practice. That's I don't think people pay a million dollars and agree not to do anything. You know, uh, but coaches have been paranoid about about this for years, and and now that this is out there and Michigan's name is attached to it in in such a way, uh, it, it sort of feeds that paranoia. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Alabama has privately gone to significant lengths to keep things even more off radar uh, than they did before. And I think Isaiah Bond's comment is sort of a peek into that. Yeah, our guy Tex Tider here chiming in in the comments. Love the spotters on the scissor lift searching for blue and yellow fellas spying. 
Yeah. Do we really think they're? Uh, do, do we really think they're they're out there wearing blue and yellow? <laughs> you, you don't think they're not throwing on a little little? Crunch? I don't know, I mean, Clint. That, that they're, pretty guy, they're pretty brazen. in the uh, in that Connor Stallion guy stuff. had the disguises nailed. So I mean, I would assume you would at least throw yeah. on a little crimson, uh, blend in a little bit. But yeah, this is uh, Nick Saban's yeah. already extra paranoid compared to the average coach, anyways. Yeah. So I mean, you throw this into the mix, and and when he's been asked about it, he's acted like he's not paying much attention to it. It's not a big deal, whatever. Uh, we're not gonna you know worry too much about the sign stealing and all that stuff. And it's like doubt, doubtful. I highly doubt that. I bet there's been a lot of extra precaution taken. And I mean, uh, I don't know where this came from as far as the the cyber hacking and, and as far as practice videos and things like that. But that's really interesting to me as well. Cause it's like, where did that come from? Who came up with that? And, and maybe and George Hilo. At, yeah, that's what a lot of people are saying, Travis. I'm just saying that it's strange that he gets We're not on. saying that we're just saying that. Yeah. Right? I, it, it's a possibility. That's all we're, that's all we're saying. We're not going any further than Former that. Former Michigan but staffer. It, you know, it made a been, lot of, might've been debriefed. Jimmy, a lot of open you know eyes, a lot yeah. of opened eyes, uh, you know, in recent weeks with, you know, the, that addition. So that's whether I'm sure he's going to be a great coach. Don't get me wrong. We'll see if he ends up sticking on the staff. But regardless, if you just uh, revealed some of that stuff, it was uh, it was a beneficial bring in for sure. Hey, Jimmy, uh, this next clip is Jalen Hale, which some folks yeah. might say, well, he's had a nice true freshman season. He's made some impactful plays. See the old Miss touchdown. For a little more on that, but I wanted to bring this up in relation to Evan Stewart because there is so much going on in the portal now. Of course, Evan Stewart, the very talented uh, wide receiver previously of Texas A&M. It looks like here in recent days, uh, the word, whatever that is, is that Alabama probably won't be a player for him. And I think that's due in part to some of these guys that we probably haven't talked about enough in terms of big picture development. And when I think of that, Jimmy, I think of this guy right here. You want to talk about a talented wide receiver from the state of Texas. You already got one on your roster, don't you? Yeah, and, you know, you make your biggest leap. This is true for most players. There's exceptions to every rule. But for most players, they make their biggest leap as college players between year one and year two. That's your your big jump forward. And if Jalen Hale makes a big jump forward from about a heck of a football player next season. I mean, I, I think that guy's on the short list of a – sophomores to be very excited about in 2024. I don't know uh, what size his role will be Monday against Michigan, although he's already shown he can be more than capable if you throw a ball his way. But I think in terms of 2024, he is a key player. And uh, him and Bond both, uh, and I anticipate Bond taking yet another step in his development. Uh, I don't think we talk about this enough, but uh, I think a year from now we could be discussing Isaiah Bond as a first-round pick. Yeah, Isaiah has shown this season kind of like Terry and Arnold has on defense. You want me to play inside? I can play inside. I can play outside. I can line up in different places. I know the different positions and still get the job done. A guy who's been impactful, we know, Clint, right there as we wrap up the video footage with Jermaine Burton. How about the Californian going home? And we've mentioned this before, pretty good career stat line against Michigan for Jermaine. One catch, 57 yards, and a touchdown as a Georgia Bulldog a couple of years ago against the Wolverines down in South Florida. So when you think about these wide receivers, Clint, and the potential for explosiveness, and look, this is a talented Michigan 
secondary. It is a opportunistic Michigan secondary. Um, do you worry yourself about those 16 interceptions that Michigan has recorded this season? A guy like Mike Sanistrill is used. He reminds me a kind of Michigan's Javier Arenas on defense. He can hurt you with the pass rush. He can take the football away. He's a former wide receiver, so you know the ball skills should be in place. Uh, how do you envision these guys attacking Michigan on the back end? And maybe what are some things Alabama needs to be cautious of? Well, yeah, I certainly think that Jermaine Burton's going to have a big role. Uh, you know, I think several guys could end up having a big role, but you're going to need an all hands on deck against Michigan secondary and really against their, their defense in general. And I think you have to worry about the turnovers. Uh, I don't think necessarily, you know, obviously you've had the improvement from, from Jalen Milrow and that's encouraging. You don't have to worry nearly as much about making an, you know, uh, ill-advised throw that ends up being a turnover. One of the things about Michigan defense is they have consistently put their offense in favorable field positions the entire year. And that is why you look at their offense and they, they haven't racked up a ton of yardage, but they've, they're one of the top scoring offenses in college football because that defense puts them in favorable situations, whether it be with forced fumbles, whether it be with interceptions. And with Jermaine Burton, you know, Will Johnson, former five-star player, really talented guy, six interceptions in his last two years. He's been a starter, you know, the last two years. And, uh, I, you know, he plays left corner, right corner. He moves around a little bit. I could see him shadowing Jermaine Burton a little bit. But, you know, last year I think he gave up like 12.9 yards per catch. This year he's sitting up there at like 17.1. So it, it's certainly gone up. And the fact that Jermaine Burton averaging 22.2 yards per catch that ranks third nationally. He can beat you vertically consistently, and Jalen Milrow has proven that he can hit that shot consistently. And so I think if uh, you get Will Johnson, even though he's a really talented guy and a guy like Jermaine Burton, I could see some of those vertical shots not only being attempted but being completed. And so uh, I'll be curious to see how that ends up playing out. Uh, but really, it, that's one of the more – uh, the entire matchup between Michigan, really you look at almost every position and it's just, it's fascinating to study and, and who has the advantage and where and how do they attack and all these things. Wide receiver versus secondary is, you know, certainly one of those matchups because Alabama has got a lot of different options. You talked about the nickel corner, very good player. Um, you know, I'll be curious with his lack of size. Can Alabama get Amari in the black out there as a big slot, create some mismatches and maybe get him on a five, nine, you know, nickel corner and see what he can do there. Um, you know, we'll have to see how Michigan would adjust. Would they kind of protect him from that? I, I don't know, but that's something to keep an eye on as well. There's a lot of different weapons in this album passing attack. And even though Jalen Milrow has mostly funneled the passing game through two guys and Isaiah Bond and Jermaine Burton, we've seen other games where Jalen Hill has a big game. We've seen it where Kobe Prentice has had a big game. And so there's a lot of capable players. And I'll be curious to see exactly how Alabama chooses to attack Michigan's secondary. Yeah, Jimmy, again, it was a chatty Thursday on multiple fronts for the Alabama offense. Uh, Isaiah Bond, not just speaking in relation to preparation as impacted potentially by the at least potential for cyber stealing, but uh, also mentioning that, you know, they've worked around it so it won't be able to help Michigan on the field. You know, they won't have it to help them in this game. I think that raised a few eyebrows maybe and the the wording with that comment. I think some Alabama fans cringed a little bit, thought of it as perhaps bulletin board material. Then you had Jalen Milrow essentially putting Bill O'Brien on blast in relation to his development, his big picture future 
as a quarterback, Milrow saying that O'Brien had suggested to him to consider some other positions, not even so much consider playing quarterback elsewhere, but just not playing quarterback, you know, which sort of takes it to another level. In fairness, we haven't heard from Bill O'Brien on this either, uh, but would you be surprised, really, if this is something that Milrow has heard from not just O'Brien, but some other folks, as he outlined too, really since he's been playing the game, I guess. I mean, you were hearing it from some Alabama fans just about seven games ago, (laughs) five games ago. Uh, So I I don't think people should be stunned to hear this. Uh, What was a little surprising for me uh, just personally is, you know, I I can't remember if it was uh, Milrow's true freshman year or last year, but um, I have a source close to the program that, that told me at the time, not yesterday, but at the time, that Bill O'Brien was extremely high on on Jalen Milrow as a quarterback, uh, and and this is a A plus source that would that would absolutely know Bill O'Brien's words, even comparing Jalen Milrow to another quarterback he had recently coached, Deshaun Watson. So that's that's where it gets a little difficult to kind of put yeah. together because I think the assumption was with O'Brien coming in, not just that he was assuming Bryce Young, but he had worked with Deshaun Watson and. You saw some of those, right, skill set and yeah. attributes perhaps in Jalen. That's that's where this gets a little yeah. weird. And, I, and that's why I'd heard, again, A-plus source, O'Brien's like, you know, I, I think the kid can be Deshaun Watson, you know. So that that's where it's a little confusing for me to hear uh, Milro say that because I'm like, well, I also heard he was really high on, on Jalen. So I would like to know, uh, maybe it's the lawyer in me because, I, I, you know, one – one fact then leads to a hundred questions. Uh, I would like to know context because I yeah. think context is always very important. And it could be, could be that Bill O'Brien was thinking, you know, while Bryce Young is unquestionably the quarterback and he's going to take every first team snap, I'm sort of wasting a six foot two, 220 pound, highly skilled athlete that runs a four, four. Maybe we should play Milrow somewhere else while Bryce is the quarterback. I mean, it was that his line of thinking? I don't know. That's why I'm saying I would like to know a little more context other than just assuming Bill O'Brien was saying, uh, you're not good at quarterback, you're never going to be good at quarterback, and you should play another spot. I- I'm not going to jump to that conclusion that that's what he meant. I, I would just like to know context uh, if we're, if we're going to fully investigate the story. Milrow certainly took it that way, though. Um, obviously, yeah, he did. He did. I, I mean, I was I was shocked at like the he was bothered by it. I mean, you yes. can tell that is like a source of motivation for him uh, that his you know own offensive coordinator in his mind was asking him to play another position or thinking that he wouldn't be able to play quarterback. And it could be a situation where he was extremely high on Jalen Milrow, and then he gets to Alabama, and then he starts working with him, and then maybe that's where the the fall-off happened. And I'm not saying that is that is what happened. I'm trying to figure out how both could be true. But at either way, um, Jalen Milrow has proved almost everybody wrong, and there are going to be some people. I've been on him since, you know, I, I knew him as a Heisman contender. I knew it all along. And there are some people that, ha- that were, uh, and I want to give those people their credit because they saw something. I thought he had a ton of talent. I thought it was going to take him way longer than now. You know, back when I saw him in week two, when I saw him against Texas A&M last year, uh, it was I thinking he needed to switch positions. Absolutely not. That never even entered my mind. 
But, you know, I'm, I can't sit up here and, and, and judge Bill O'Brien too hard because, I mean, Jalen Milrow has proved me absolutely wrong on, on how quickly he could develop and the, the, the kind of player he could become. And I'll give him a lot of credit. Can you imagine the one guy, I mean, even more so than, than Nick Saban to an extent, the one guy who needs to be in your corner and believe in you as a player is your play caller. And if you felt like that he was not in your corner and he did not believe in you, can you imagine how that would shake your confidence or could shake your confidence? A, that makes a lot of things make sense. Like against Texas A&M, the struggles, the deer in headlights, if his his confidence was shook because it it he didn't feel like he had an offensive coordinator that trusted him, I can more so see where where that would be the result. But not only that, how much has he grown? And and the fact that he had that working against him or at least in his mind, at the very least in his mind, he had that working against him and he overcame that and it's become the quarterback that we see today. That is a, a completely, there's something about, there's one thing with fans and casuals, but when you're offensive coordinator, you don't feel like he's in your corner. Uh, that can be a dagger for a lot of quarterbacks. It's a very mentally strong position or it needs to be mentally strong. And, you know, the fact that he overcame that, I, I mean, it, that, that takes a special mindset and I give Jalen Miro a ton of credit for having that mindset. While we're at it, Jimmy, I mean, you could say that he's been motivated by the coaching staff that's there right now, including his own head coach, because right. he was benched against South Florida. Alabama brought in a transfer portal quarterback after the spring and Tyler Buckner, even in the lead up to this season, post Bill O'Brien, there have been mile markers that say, you know, we're not sure you're the guy now to the extent of we're going to move you to another position. I guess that hasn't happened. But, you know, I think about the comments, Jimmy, and they're public, and uh, they resonated, no doubt about it. You could feel those comments. You didn't just hear them. You could feel the intensity. Uh, and I think, again, something else that maybe fans or, or folks around the program would rather have stayed silent, my thought on it is, what do you think has fueled this guy to this point? You don't stop anything. You don't change anything with Jalen Milrow. And sure, if he doesn't play well against Michigan, there'll be people who circle back and say, well, he made those comments on Thursday about Bill O'Brien and, you know, the disrespect and all that. No, that that's, that's a load of crap, but you know, uh, I don't, I don't change anything with Jay Lank all the way, baby, lank it up all the way through Monday. Right, Jimmy. You know what? It reminds me of a ton that, you know, Milrow's had a lot of doubters. He's had a lot of doubters. Uh, and, and it reminds me of, uh, it's, it's a, you know, heck of a comparison here, but it reminds me of, you know, all the way to his pro basketball hall of fame speech, Michael Jordan, bringing up the fact that he was cut, uh, in the ninth grade and didn't make the high school basketball team, you know, when he was in the ninth grade, uh, Tom Brady being the 199th pick in the NFL draft provided fuel to him all the way until the day he stepped off the field as the greatest quarterback in the history of the game. I think Jalen Milrow, like those guys, like Michael Jordan, like Tom Brady, he finds the fuel in the doubts. And it's kind of it's kind of his superpower, right? I mean, it, it seems like it's what's elevating Milrow to these heights. And uh and hey, you know, I, I'm I'm waving the flag for 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 Jalen Milrow as a potential 2024 Heisman Trophy winner because I think these same things that bother him today will also be bothering him next fall. 
and, and going forward, I, I think the greats, they, they, they take it personal. What's the meme with Michael Jordan? And I took that personally. That's what my, that, that was practically what Jalen Milrow was saying yesterday. I took that personally and, uh, Hey, whatever's fueling that guy, keep keep it going because I, I think he is one year of development short of being just undefendable at this level. He's not there yet, but you can see him tracking towards that rare spot in this game of being undefendable. Clint, with all that said, why do I still feel like this next spring is going to be like 2017 all over again? When you had Jalen coming off, Jalen Hurts coming off his first season as starter, early enrollee into a Tonga Vailoa, Tua lit it up at the 8A game or looked very good in that spring game. Here comes Julian saying, you're already hearing the positivity about the nation's number one quarterback prospect for the 2024 cycle. Why am I getting those vibes that even if Alabama wins out, uh, it's going to be a situation where there's still going to be a lot of hype surrounding Julian saying, Hey, it, I was literally about to say the exact same thing because <laughs> it does feel similar. Now, it, and people need to go ahead and prepare themselves for this. Who looked better in that spring for the most part? It was Tua. Well, why? Because something that Jalen brings to the table that Tua simply didn't as a runner you couldn't put that on full display in the spring. So one of the big, you know, elements of Jalen Milrow's game is his legs. And he probably, he won't be able to use that in the spring or put that on display for people. So if you start breaking down and comparing guys just from a passing standpoint, Julian saying might look like he would end up being the better player. But I mean, there's something different and Alabama saw it against Jaden Daniels. They've seen it against other talents. Deshaun Watson back, you know, back in the day where when you get on a football field with a guy who's able to just be a dynamic threat with their legs, uh, you see it in the NFL with Lamar Jackson, it just adds such a strain on you defensively. You've got great defensive minds like Kirby Smart trying to outsmart himself by using two quarterback spots. I mean, that this is this is the, the danger of just having that threat. Like Jalen Milrow hadn't even always used his legs, but you knew that cat could go six games without – taken off and running once and in that seventh game uh, the the defensive coordinator is still pulling his hair out worried about him running the football like that's just the threat is always there and so people need to keep that in mind when it comes to the whole quarterback room in the spring is uh, don't be shocked if Jalen Milrow doesn't look spectacular but what I will say is that with him being quote unquote the guy all throughout that process that's going to benefit him but also he's going to continue to work on the things from within the pocket and so if he can continue to improve there on top of his rushing ability and he can learn to read defenses and all that stuff and have just time not only working on that stuff but working on that stuff as Alabama starter that can really benefit him you know once you unlock those legs again come next fall so that could be, be, be sure to keep that in mind it's going to be an interesting you know uh, conversation but Jalen Milrow in my opinion should be the guy, and I'm a huge Julian Sand fan. I think he's got a very bright future in Tuscaloosa. And if you know Alabama had to turn to him next year for whatever reason, he's a freshman. I'm not going to put too much on his shoulders and make a bunch of assumptions. But just from what I've seen on the high school level and, and the early buzz, you would probably feel confident in his ability to get the job done. But that's assuming some of these other guys are gone too, but because we don't know what the quarterback room is going to look like. We just know right now there are six guys 
one of them's heading out and Tyler Buckner after this game, but you're still going to have five. So we'll see how things turn out. Uh, Dexter right here in the comments. Uh, Jimmy says saying already has the quarterback room nervous. Now, you know, I think we've learned enough about Jalen Milrow as much intangibly this season as really anything else that I don't envision Jalen Milrow being nervous about much or anyone else in that room, but safe to say, uh, Saiyan is making some some early impressions on his teammates and that staff. Well, it's like the uh, famous uh, pitcher Satchel Page once said, you know, uh, hey, don't look behind you. Something might be gaining on you. And and I think that's I think Julian Saiyan is going to be gaining on some guys in that room. Uh, but and, and I know Travis is exactly right. There's going to be Julian Saiyan mania uh, this spring. Uh, he's not going to do anything to douse those flames by performing. Performing well won't surprise me at all to see Julian saying impressive this spring because he's been impressive his entire high school career. Uh, but there's other guys, too. I mean, I I was really impressed down the stretch with Ty Simpson, who I thought by Kentucky was radically different than the Ty Simpson we saw against South Florida. I think that's Ty announcing that he's close to being ready to be a starter at this level. Uh so much of the excitement that will be there about Dil, uh, about Julian saying this spring was there about Dylan Lonergan this past spring and fall. Uh, I think we know from uh, our sources close to the program that Dylan Lonergan is somebody that the staff is very, very high on. Uh, no one has been disappointed in Eli Holstein. Uh, I, I'm not so sure, guys. I mean, it, it's not worth a single point on the scoreboard, but I'm not so sure that this Alabama QB room today Today in Pasadena, when Tommy Reese is meeting with his six guys, that may be the best collection of six Alabama's ever had, which is saying a lot, you know, when you're going all the way back to the Bryant era when you had a Namath and a Stabler on the team at the same time. You had guys but I'm on talking about, scholarships playing football. Yeah, <laughs> scholarship era too, right? But six wide, six wide. This, I mean, the guy that you would call the sixth guy – is the Gator Bowl MVP yeah. that beat South Carolina. So uh, that, that that's just uh, crazy what Nick Saban has been able to accumulate. Well, yeah, one, ahead, one thing I, I want to say about Jalen Milrow and, and Julian saying, what's one thing that helped Jalen win the job this year? He had the locker room. He had the support of his teammates. And that hadn't gone anywhere. In fact, it's only grown from this point. You've seen that guy go out there and battle and he's taken some big hits, and he, he took the big hit against Kentucky, and he stayed in the football game, and just, uh, you know, it, the, the team loves him. And so even though, you know, you talk about the talent and all that stuff, the locker room element of this entire thing certainly plays a role. And right now, Jalen Milrow is far and away has the locker room as far as his, oh, yeah. their support for him being the starting quarterback at Alabama. Yeah, no doubt about that, intangibly. And by the way, he's performed. I mean, he's closed games out, closed out that Georgia game. So there's a level of trust now, too, from that coaching staff. And I'm not saying Julian saying won't be able to develop that pretty quickly because we've heard the point guard talk so much in relation to Julian, how Nick wanted him to become more of that guy. Well, I think Julian saying shows up as a point guard now. Does that mean there aren't some other areas that he still has work and ground to cover to get to where he needs to be before he's truly ready to assume that position at Alabama? Of course he's got room to cover. But uh, 
going to be some good stuff, I think, from this quarterback situation in general. Jimmy said it. I mean, I can't recall a time when Alabama at any point had six like this. I, it's hard to recall them having six on scholarship at any point. It's, it's so difficult to manage that, those numbers these days at that position with the ease in which these players can move around. Speaking of players moving around, guys, Domani Jackson previously of Southern California, attends Alabama practice in Southern California on Thursday. Shortly thereafter, we learn he has joined or will join the Alabama Crimson Tide for the 2024 season. Uh, I'll start with you, Clint. First, what do you think this means in relation to uh, corners for 2024 as far as NFL draft and those type of things? Is this indicative of some expected movement, not just in terms of scholarship number guys, but specifically a guy like Terry and Arnold and you anticipate Kool-Aid McKinstry. Is that something that came to mind to you when you, when you saw this news? It was one of the first two things that came to mind. That was actually the first. And then you, you say, okay, if they were bringing back Tyrion Arnold and they had Trey Amos ready to go as a guy they think is going to step up and be a starter next year, what becomes the, I understand Damani Jackson's a very talented kid. I still think he's got some growth and development that needs to happen. So it's not like he's a surefire plug and play from day one type of player. He's not, he, he's not coming with those expectations. Like you kind of thought was going to be coming with Eli Ricks, but um, he's an experienced guy. He was, you know, he started quite a few games at USC. He played over 700 snaps. He had 11 starts this year. He's played, um, you know, uh, good football at times. I think he's been a little bit inconsistent. I think the development of that entire USC defense has been pretty rough. So you can't really blame him from that standpoint. You get him with Alabama's coaching staff and you have to believe in their ability to get guys where they need to be. There's a reason he was the top corner in the country last year. Uh, you know, got the side speed combination that you look for. He's got the length. He's a willing run defender, uh, physical at the line of scrimmage, plays the press pretty well. Um, but he's still figuring some things out too. Like he was pretty technically sound coming out of, of high school, but you know, there's some things from a instinctual standpoint, just understanding the position and the nuances of it. I still think he's growing in those areas. But one thing I'll say, when you look at him compared to the rest, let's say Kool-Aid McKinstry and Tyrion Arnold, which I think is very realistic at this point, both those two guys are gone. They're both projected to go in the first round right now. It would make sense. You, you got to let those guys go and say, you know, go be great. Uh, but if that happens, I understand Alabama has a ton of talent. I mean, Des Riggs, former five-star player, uh, you know, Jalen Mbakwe, five-star player, Zabian Brown, borderline top 50 player, um, you know, Jaleel Hurley, former top 50 player, Earl Little, top 100. So you've got, you know, options from a talent standpoint, but collectively, all those guys that I just mentioned have a total of about 50, 50 to 55 snaps in their entire career, young careers. So it's the same situation, you know, a couple of years ago, it was Jameer Gibbs, where the running back room, you liked the talent that was coming back. You liked the, the ability of Jace McClellan and Roy Dell Williams. But A, when you have a caliber of player like Jameer Gibbs enter the transfer portal, that piques your interest. But also it was the fact that they wanted to add that experience element to the room. They Same thing last year with Trez Marshall. They liked Jihad Campbell. They liked the way he was developing. They thought he could be a really good player. But, you know, with Deontay Lawson started a little bit, but he didn't have a ton of experience. And so what do they do? They go get an experienced guy in Tresman Marshall. I think it's the same situation here. 
you have the young talent, and if Des Ricks ends up stepping up and becoming that great player we all think he's capable of being, great. And and that's you know, but you know, if you get that from Mbakwe right here from the get go from the jump, that's great. But you've brought in another experienced, talented corner who can you know also develop and become that great player. And I think that benefits the room entire room because there's a lot of bodies right now in that room, and they're all really talented. But the experience was really lacking. If you are making that assumption that Kule McKinstry and Terran Arnold were making a jump to the NFL, and that's where I think Damani Jackson, you know, can benefit this team the most in 2024. But also, it's not just bringing in a guy who doesn't have a lot of upside himself. Like he could end up turning into a superstar too. So I'll be curious to see how he ends up developing. Jimmy, you know, we've talked about it in the past. Nick Saban's not big on hoping when it comes to roster management for an upcoming season. We saw it with Trey Amos, the addition of Trey. And whereas he was more of a depth provider, showed up pretty damn big in the win over Georgia. Jalen Key, Alabama goes that direction at safety. I don't think this speaks as much to the thought process involving the development of the younger players. I just think it's, look, we're trying to maintain a level of play here and we're wide open to Des Ricks coming along. Antonio Kite. Uh, you anticipate it from Trey Amos stepping forward again uh, in next season. But you you always need at least three legit dudes at corner, at least three, because you start factoring in the potential for the star position. So even if Terry and Arnold came back, right, even if Terry and Arnold did come back and you had Trey Amos to go along with him, you still need a legit third corner, and you'll damn sure take a fourth if you can get it, and Damani Jackson's a guy, I guess, an injury a couple of years ago, had a knee injury that kind of slowed his start at USC. Uh, Clint, I've heard the same things in terms of his all-around play. Uh, you watch him on tape at modern day in high school, really excels in press and more in man, uh, but there's intricacies to coverage with zone and the pattern matching and different stuff that Nick Saban does, similar to Eli Ricks in some ways. I'm not saying he's he's the same player going to have maybe some of the same issues Eli did, but there, there's a lot more to it. And, you know, best player available right now looks like Damani Jackson at corner where the portal's concerned. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of, uh, of LT Overton, the other portal guy, I mean, a, a five star from two cycles ago who has a ton of natural ability, uh, hasn't really panned out yet, but there's still a lot of hope there. And I think that's what you see in uh in, in Damani is is a lot of hope I mean uh in, in terms of a projection uh he's projected to be a great player at this level hadn't happened yet but the tools are all there the tools are there and they know him it seems to be not a common thread uh, uh not in a hundred percent of the portal pickups but in a lot of these portal pickups uh, you can see the pattern of Nick Saban having a comfort level with the guys he knows. He knows Damani. He knows LT Overton from recruiting. He knew Henry Toa Toa. They recruited Jermaine Burton out of high school. Uh, you know, they, they know these guys. And I think it it helps with the comfort level of knowing, okay, well, what is, is, is he going to be helpful to the locker room or is he disruptive to the locker room? Because you can disrupt a locker room bringing in an older kid All who expects to start. You yeah. know, when when you've got Ricks and Hurley and these young guys, Antonio Kite, who are like, hey, it's my turn, and now you're bringing in this junior, that can really disrupt things. You bring in the wrong personality. Uh, but I think Nick Saban seems to have this comfort level 
with uh, with kids he knows. And uh, the talent speaks for itself in, in terms of I think we all saw uh, Damani's high school tape. Uh, I mean, this, this is a high toolsy kid uh, that's going to have a chance to win the spot. In terms of Terrion and Kool-Aid, I mean, uh, anything can happen, no final decisions. Uh, but I, I know m- myself, I'm not going to be surprised if uh, if Terrion returns. Uh, I'll be really surprised if Kool-Aid does. Uh, but but I'll be uh, su- uh, not surprised to see uh, Terrion back for another year. Uh, still gives Damani a chance to compete with Tramus and uh, and also that star spot. Yeah, you know, Clint, you talk about critical factors. And Jimmy said it, the familiarity with Jackson as well. But critical factors at corner, he's 6'1", weighs 190 pounds. And he ran a 10-2-5 in the 100 <laughs> back in high school. I, I'd say those are the uh, the critical factors that, that you got to kind of And he's physical. Off of. Like, yeah. you know, you know, he's got that size. He's got that. I mean, when you talk about prototypical Nick Saban, Alabama corners, the size 190, length 6-1, long arms, physical, Ultra athletic. I mean, hit the long speed is just on a completely different level than a lot of your average corners. Like Eli Ricks in his wildest dreams couldn't do some of the things from a speed standpoint that Damani Jackson can. Uh, and I'll be, I mean, I think he's got a little bit of positional flexibility. We talked about Star. I certainly think he's capable of that. If he doesn't ever develop the instincts necessarily that he needs as a perimeter guy, he could end up playing Star. Uh, he's got the physicality for it, he's got the size for it. Uh, or it's also possible that he can end up making a move to safety. He could pull an Eddie Jackson. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I'm saying that if the development isn't where it needs to be, I mean, in Alabama's system, those perimeter corners are asked to do a lot. They're left on islands in a lot of situations. You've got to be able to understand the defense on such a level, and if you mess up, it's touchdown. I mean, you're you're such an exploitable position and it's, you know, put on full display. It's one of the most exploitable positions on the field as far as, you know, if you're not playing good football, teams are going to take advantage of it. And, you know, so if he ends up not developing, which I fully believe in this staff's, uh, they, them being able to get that out of him. But if they don't, I think he's got enough talent. He's physical. Like I said, he's the run defender that you look for. Uh, he's almost a little bit too physical at times. I think that's a, probably a big issue. He's got a little bit of Tyrion Arnold, Arnold in yeah. him. Where he gets a little grabby at times. He's like a boundary corner, but he can fly. He you can know, fly. I mean, that's an interesting mix. Usually, that's your more physical corner in there, or, uh, but he can run. There's, there's no doubt about it. And you know, we we talk about the transfer portal and whether or not a guy's developmental or if he's an instant guy. I think Damani Jackson is being looked at as a guy immediately who comes in and impacts things. And then, you know, it's interesting though. We've seen Nyquil Bertrand. The offensive tackle from Texas A&M here linked to Alabama in recent days. I know our Joseph Hastings there at BamaOnline.com has had some news about an official visit for Batron coming up. And you look at him, and this is a raw prospect from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, Didn't play at A&M as a freshman. But then when you consider Alabama's still forming 2024 class, it's pretty much interior offensive linemen. So it looks like, Jimmy, that this staff is looking at Batron potentially as a tackle for the 2024 class, as much as they're looking at him as a portal guy who typically comes in and competes right away. Not that he won't or couldn't, but on the surface, it kind of has that feel to it, I guess. 
Yeah, this this one's really odd to me because it, it flies in the face of the Overton and Damani Jackson. Here's a kid they don't know. They didn't even recruit this kid out of high school. And and then he goes to AM and doesn't even play his freshman year. And yet they like this guy. I can't, you know, it, it's dangerous to speculate. It's super dangerous to speculate. But isn't it fair to think that Nick Saban may have given his old friend Jimbo Fisher a call on this one and said, hey, if of uh of all those guys you're leaving behind. There's a lot of them in the portal. I thought Jimbo uh, wasn't taking Nick's calls. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he might text. be now. He he can yeah. he has <laughs> multiple lines now. He, he has a different uh, a different uh, situation in terms of probably you know he's now that he's worth the the you know he's worth what AT and T is worth. Yeah, he has several <laughs> lines. Uh, but I, I can't help but think they might have talked about this kid because you know he hasn't played uh, and, and and Alabama didn't know him. And, uh, and and Nick and Jimbo probably do talk more than we know. So uh, it's it, very interesting about how we can't watch tape of this guy at A and M, and and the high school. He's a three star out of high school. Practice a three star tape. practice, yeah. and I will say that's to me that's maybe there's a that, Philly connection with uh, you know Christian Barmore coming from there. Who knows, Nick? Well, it, it goes deep, right? That, that Texas A and M defensive front is one of the most talented in the country. So if you're watching practice tape and he was on the practice squad. You've seen him get some pretty challenging You're reps, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if they were able, that's what a lot of these guys, when they go to transfer and they don't have any tape, they get those practice reps. And so maybe Alabama saw something on there and thought, hey, against that defensive front, look at him. Uh, he looks pretty good. And we think we can develop him into some. If I had to guess, I would say that's exactly what happened. I, th- I think it's that practice tape and who he was actually going against this probably helped him the most. And they need a tackle in this class. Absolutely. You know, need one. So, uh, immediate future, maybe, but even if it's more about, you know, a four year span for Bertrand to, to develop, it, it makes some sense there as well. As we get out of here, guys, text tighter, our pal has a, he has a request, you know, like this is Casey Kasem or something we're doing here, the top 40, uh, to close us out, need a sing along with Clint on the acoustic guitar behind him. Counselor's choice of song. So, I don't know if we're choice get of to songs. That. You got about one that, What's and that? I could play. Uh, Wish you were here by Pink Floyd, and <laughs> I can maybe I can do like the easy parts. So I mean, you, you don't you, have Yay Alabama down on that thing. I don't have. I, mean, I don't have Sweet Home Alabama Vickers. down on that thing. Much yes, much less Yay Alabama. This no no I, hail to the victors on there. I thought sure. I was going to get real cute with that purchase over there. I thought you know, <laughs> I'm going to learn how to play guitar. I understand I'm 30 plus years old, but this time my brother's a musician. He can play it really well. And I got it and I spent a, a lot of hours, a lot of wasted hours because I didn't make it very far. And then I figured out, you know what? I probably just need to keep talking football because that's not working out for me. Did you guys uh, catch the wife's contribution to the show today? See that right it's a there? Christmas present? See that little, it's roses in that little oh, rose bowl. Nice. Yeah, you know. Uh, uh, that's, see, that's thoughtful. I, I can appreciate that. Yeah. You got a good one. Trying to add some value to this thing, man. You know, we do the best we can. I we, men would have never thought to do something no. like that. It's a little so. elephant cup with about four roses in it. There you go. We're Sweet. ready. Nice touch. Hey, uh, this has been a lot of fun, guys. Enjoyed it. Yeah, I've had a blast. Jimmy, appreciate you. Travis, appreciate you. This is a great conversation, as it always is. And uh, hopefully we get to do one. Well, I'm sure we'll probably do we're one. We're going to do one regardless, one. yeah. But hopefully we're, we're previewing a national championship game. But there's uh, there's some work that needs to be done before that happens. Real quick, uh, give me uh, the Washington-Texas pick for each of you guys before we 
before we get out of here. Clint, who I you got, got Texas. You got Texas. I got, te- I got, te- I got Texas. Uh, they're just too good at the line of scrimmage. Same. I think that's the trenches is where I think Texas has the biggest advantage. So yeah, I'm going with Texas too. Give me Michael Penix. You're going oh, Washington. Purple rain. There you go. Y'all wanted a sing along. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Sounded just like Prince. Oh, I mean Paisley Park. That's where I'm at right now. I'm in the studio. There you go. No, uh, I'll go Washington I, against better judgment because I, like I hear you on the lines of scrimmage, Jimmy. Um, I'm going against some some things. I t- I just I kind of feel a Vince Young type performance in a twist of irony, right? For if Washington like, in this, if one. you like watching college football, you can't help but watch that Rome Adunza, the 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 wide receiver, Washington. That He's guy, got some receivers too. Yeah, that guy is awesome. I mean, he, they they got a deep group actually, but Rome, Texas isn't great on the back end. I no, mean, we no. forget in that Alabama game, Alabama got over the top multiple times right. and was explosive. If, it was if their not. main source of offensive production, yeah. So it should be fun regardless. But uh, appreciate you guys doing this. A lot of fun. I hope the viewers out there have enjoyed it. Uh, it'll be in podcast form as well. Also, you need to hang out with us right there at the roundtable or premium message board at BamaOnline.com. We got Charlie Potter out in Southern California keeping you up to speed with boots on the ground coverage from L.A. We're going to be doing our best to keep you updated as well throughout the weekend and into Monday's game and throughout Monday's game. And recruiting never stops, as we know, at BamaOnline.com. As well, Tim Watts, Andrew Bone, Joseph Hastings, they do a job that is unparalleled unmatched when it comes to the recruiting front. So for Clint Lamb and Jimmy Stein, Travis Ryder, thanking you once again for joining us. Until next time, so long, everybody. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's $200 to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com on3 and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in 
West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. 